Here's a bit of e-commerce trivia. <laughs> Did you know that 9 out of 10 UK shoppers will abandon a store using US dollars? Or that if someone leaves your store to use a currency converter, 2 out of 3 won't return? Not showing the default local currency might be one of the biggest contributors to your e-commerce bounce rate. And if you ship internationally, a multi-currency app is an absolute must, and the folks at Bold make the best multi-currency app out there. Here's why. It auto-detects where your customers are shopping from and shows them their correct currency, so you don't lose them in the first second that they load the site. And of course, it also syncs real-time with currency databases too, so it's always up to date. But it has a few other neat tricks as well, such as rate padding. So if you set it to sync real-time rates, but want to pad the conversion by a few percent eh, to make a little for yourself, you can do that too. It also supports vanity pricing, which I think is neat. So if you want all your prices to end in, say, 99 cents, it could do that for you as well. And it's got all those features, but best of all, it's free. So I can't even offer you a special extended trial, because there isn't one. Just go to the App Store and search Bold Multicurrency. That's Bold Multicurrency in the App Store. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You know the benefit of SEO. The higher you rank in search engines, the more visitors your store will have. And more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do that? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines. And it's trusted by thousands of Shopify stores. It leads the market in both innovation and usability. And it's no wonder. SEO Manager adds an entire suite of tools to help attract new customers by fully optimizing your store. So here's a few of my favorites. It scans your site for SEO issues, offers keyword suggestions, adds structured data support, analyzes missing pages and redirects, and it even integrates with Kit, Shopify's personal marketing assistant. And that's not all. It does a whole bunch of more stuff. All of these things will help you to be easily found in Google and other search engines. And best of all, it's easy to get started. You can launch SEO Manager on your store in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Plus, as a special offer to our listeners, you can get SEO Manager right now for 10% off forever. Sign up at seomanager.com slash unofficial. That's seomanager.com slash unofficial. Hello and welcome back to the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elster, recording from EtherCycle headquarters. And I want to talk today about building your tech team, working with Shopify experts, consultants, freelancers, and having it not suck. So here is a dark truth. Freelancers can be a flaky bunch. It, it's, this is true. And uh, let me, let me, uh, let me illustrate it. I have had scenarios where I ask a client, hey, why'd you hire us? You know, expecting them to be like, oh, you know, we trust you and we like your podcast. And sometimes that's what they say. And other times people have said, well, you're the only person who answered our email. And that, that the first time I thought, well, that's unusual. But it didn't just stop at once. It's happened multiple times where literally I got hired because I was the only one who could be bothered to respond to a client's initial outreach email. That's crazy to me, but it's not that uncommon. Um, or we'll have, you know, but it, it's a two-way street. I'll uh, often I probably you know I'll say half of uh, of cold emails we get from people who are considering hiring us are like vague one-sentence emails that really you know doesn't give me enough to go on. And if you have um, a proven track re- record, you're going to get uh, as a consultant or a freelancer, you're going to get a lot of those requests. So it's a two-way street. Um, and so on, on today's show, we're going to look at how we can defang that relationship, how we can, uh, you can take the risk out of hiring a freelancer and how you can help position yourself to be favorite client material. That's what we'll call it. Um, where people, where freelancers will get excited about answering your email and getting on the phone with you. And to help me talk through that and figure that, that defanging process out is Marcus Blankenship. Um, his website, marcusblankenship.com has tons of amazing resources uh, including a free email course that I took. I've also followed his webinars and, and spoken with him at length in person uh, on building a team. It was really helpful for me as we've grown. So we use, um, we do a lot of our fulfillment is, is done with 
the toughest kind of thing to work with, a remote contractor, right? Which is often how a, sh- uh, a, a Shopify merchant is going to work with a majority of experts is through really this remote contract relationship. Um, and Marcus's advice on that really helped us tremendously on setting expectations and making sure projects um, go well. So, uh, Marcus, with that that illustrious intro, I've thoroughly put you on the spot and on a pedestal. Um, tell me, what what is it you do? How would you... How would you describe it? Hey, Kurt, I help business owners build technical teams that can deliver, that will deliver without them always having to be on top of them and just having to be in the weeds on everything, and a team they can trust. And hopefully that means they get a business that they like to work at rather than a business uh, that feels like a job. I like that. The, yeah, the end benefit there is is emotional. It's like, you know, you don't want these um, uh, antagonistic relationships with with employees, colleagues, coworkers, et cetera, consultants. And you, you want things, you want to be excited to get on the phone with that person and, and talk through and say, hey, here's that project going, here's this next project. Like you, you want to have confidence. Um, and there's some pretty, there's some simple things that you could do to set those expectations that I have learned from you. Um, but what, uh, so right now you are essentially a consultant who teaches people how to build teams, how to hire consultants and other That's folks, right. um, employees and build tech teams. Um, give me some of your background. What have, what have, how did you come about this experience? Well, I, uh, I, I worked in, you know, big corporate environment for about 14 years in software engineering and software engineering management. And then I thought, you know, what'd be great is to start my own agency. Um, and, uh, you know, we did some Shopify work, we did mobile and web, we did all this stuff. And that gave me an exposure to being on the agency side, uh, learning to deal with clients and a lot of contractors and freelancers, as well as all, you know, you've got coders, you've got designers, uh, you've got UX people and copywriters. The reality is in many ways. They're all the same, but they uh, they all need to learn to work together. And really what I found was when things were going badly, I hate to say it, those freelancers are flaky, Kurt, but <laughs> I was really also pretty flaky. And I was making a lot of assumptions. I was just assuming people would act, excuse me, in a quote unquote, un, uh, quote, professional way. And so I brought this idea that like, well, of course this person I hired is going to be professional. After all, I'm paying a lot. So I won't have to, you know, really explain everything I want. I'll just know they're going to do the right thing. Okay. So where, let's start with this. What's the number one mistake people are making when they try to hire a freelancer or consultant? So I also, if you're a freelancer, (laughs) hold on, if you're a freelancer, we use that catch-all term freelancer. For the record, I hate the F word, call yourself anything other than a freelancer because it has this negative connotation. Um, For myself, I like e-commerce consultant. I think that's very, that's good. Or just simply Shopify expert gets us away from that freelancer language. But that's, that's for, all right, that one was for my, my freelancer friends and how I hate the F word. But all right, uh, Marcus, continue. Sorry to go down. I think the number one mistake, Kurt, is, um, is, is frankly being too optimistic at the beginning of the relationship and chasing it. Like I always, Kurt, I hate to say it, but I was not very successful with the opposite sex in junior high or high school. And a lot of that was actually because I would really chase those relationships. And that came off as being really needy and wanting it more than the other person. And so the first thing I want to say is you have to, you have to not chase too hard. You need to put the net out there, but if somebody's not getting back to you, Right. Let's say you go to the Shopify vendor store, uh, vendor marketplace, and you're like, oh, I want a new page. And you start clicking to to get a hold of people and sending emails. If people aren't replying, like you said earlier, how, you know, is it common that people don't reply? Unfortunately, it is. Should you then send a second, third, fourth email desperately like begging for this person's help? Probably not. That's not going to set you up for success, in my opinion. And while this may not be, you know, the number one mistake, it is definitely a mistake I see people making. The second mistake, frankly, is right behind it is even if they do reply, they really are so optimistic that they don't take time to see reality. Does that make any sense? Uh, no. <laughs> Great. Well, let me explain. Explain it to me. Not Great that it doesn't make sense. I just don't get it yet. So, Kurt, what I'm talking about is when that person starts sending signals that they're going to be a flake up front, it's really easy to 
forgive them to overlook them. For example, they tell you they're going to send you a proposal tomorrow. You don't get it tomorrow. They tell you that you're going to have a call with them on Thursday. They're 15 minutes late or they don't show up or they reschedule at the last minute. Um, they tell you that they're going to sign your contract or they'll send you a contract on a certain date never shows up, shows up three days later. This is what I mean by the signs that somebody's flaky. So and these are, so you look for, um, you look for these basic red flags that someone is flaky. So it's really like, can you be bothered to show up on time to anything? Like if you made a commitment, if you said, Hey, uh, we'll have a phone meeting at this time, that's a commitment. Can you make that basic commitment of picking up the phone? If you can't, or, hey, I'll send you a proposal by the end of day today. And it doesn't, and it shows up, but not when you said it would. All right, so like that's a red flag that, hey, this person is going to blow deadlines. And the other one is, hey, this is a, a red flag that they're not going to communicate well. And then you should take those seriously because that is setting the tone for the relationship. That's exactly right. But there's something we do where we are super understanding at the beginning of a relationship, right? We want it so bad. I feel like that sometimes we say, well, you know, it's just a day late or, ah, you know what? I didn't get it today. I'll probably get it tomorrow morning. I have found one particular trick that solves this entirely. And that is to ask people when they say, I'll get you a contract tomorrow or, uh, let's jump on the phone. But, but typically, especially when they're email things, I'll get you a contract tomorrow. I say, great. I have a pen. What is the time I should expect to receive it by? When you do that, you're changing the game. This person now doesn't just think of you as somebody who, oh, well, they're going to abstractly want to hire me. They want me to make a promise that has to do with a time. If they say to you, oh, end of day tomorrow, you'll say, what time is your end of day? Yeah, and Again, we don't know. And it's, a, it's not a – I would not interpret that as a pushy question. I would interpret that as someone who is, is, uh, is organized and mindful of time zones. Exactly. And realizes that we're not sitting in the same office, right? And, and I think the other thing is it's much easier, Kurt, if, if you, if you get a promise that you'll get something by 4 PM Pacific the next day and it becomes 401 and you haven't gotten it or 402 or 410, you realize it's a broken promise that in your own mind, you realize that that person did not sort of hit what should have been a pretty easy promise to keep. And that's just at the very beginning, pre-contract, pre-money stage. Yeah. And it's like, there's this tremendous, you're right. That is the most important time, um, for, for that, uh, for the service professional to demonstrate that they can be professional. Um, so like you want, you, it is, it just said it's in such an easy opportunity to show that, Hey, I can underpromise and overdeliver, and that's always what you want in any uh, in any relationship. As you, as the store owner, should be uh, underpromising and overdelivering to your client, to your customers, and you should expect the same level of service from a service professional. So I would say, um, like for me, what I you know when we get on the phone, uh, when I talk to uh, we do the initial consultation, and it goes well, we're a good fit, and I'll and I will give them timelines. I'll say, hey, I will send you. Um, I said, by end of day today, I'll send you the next steps. And then when I get off the phone, I'll just do it because it's fresh in my mind. And when I say mm -hmm. by end of day today, I know that I'm probably going to do it uh, as soon as I get off the phone, but I want to give myself the leeway. And ideally, if I do, you know, then I, I have underpromised and overdelivered. But just on such a simple thing, like we're getting it off on the right foot. And then I make sure um, I use Calendly to set the phone meetings. Um, and I, uh, I ask people to call me. Um, and this has never been an issue, but, uh, and I did this be because of no shows. So it's like if early on in that relationship, I've got, you know, a, a prospective client who can't be bothered to call me and I only do three phone meetings in the morning, um, because I, you know, I can only do so much, uh, enthusiastic people time, right. Um, I'm fresh in the morning. That's when, when I get that yep. stuff done. Um, you know, so if someone no shows to that, like that, another client might have had to wait a day to discuss a project because of that. So it really it bothers me. Um, and then oftentimes, like that, that's a red flag in itself. Unless they have like a genuine reason and they're quick about it, and there are le certainly legitimate um, reasons that that could happen. But it could be a red flag um, both ways. 
I, I think you hit the nail on the head. There could be legitimate reasons why someone doesn't send a proposal, can't make a time to talk. Maybe they cancel 15 minutes. Maybe they don't show. People get in car accidents. Kurt, let me ask you this. At your company, if you realize that you're going to have to change an appointment, which is a promise, right? If you realize you're going to have to delay a promised time of a proposal, if that happens and the world has moved and bad do things do happen, how do you handle it? And I want to know because I think it's a, a good illustration of what we can expect from great contractors. How are they going to handle it? Uh, I The solution is to immediately get in touch with the person by their preferred method of, of contact. So this could be if it's a serious thing, I'm always going to use the phone. It is too easy to misinterpret uh, tone in email, message, Slack, whatever it is. Um, so I will I will get on the phone immediately and say, hey, I've just got this thing. I want to let you know. And like most deadlines are self-imposed. So if I know I can't meet one, well, let's see what we could do about it. Um, and I think that, you know, that um, just demonstrates uh, openness. Um, I said this uh, the other day in a podcast. The core, I say the cornerstone of uh, any successful relationship, whether it's with a client or with my wife, is open and honest communication. So much better just to get out in front of it um, and pick up the phone and say, hey, this is the issue we had. Um, Absolutely. And, and I would say anything pre-contract, in my mind, falls into a serious thing because we're testing the waters. Can I trust this person? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's early on, it's so easy that's where, you know, they say, well, first impressions. Well, that's that's where we're at. We're still in that first impression, first date stage. I love it. Yeah, exactly. The first date. So I have a, uh, you know, my four-step interview process broadly is like get a resume or a portfolio from the person. That's hurdle one. If they won't even send it, scratch them off. Hurdle two, get a time to talk on the phone. If they're late, if you don't get, if you get a cancellation at the last minute or they're a no-show, don't reschedule. Cross them off. They did not make the hurdle. Hurdle three, get some prior work samples. Find, you know, get, uh, ask them to provide you with something that sort of proves they can do what they can do, depending on the discipline you're hiring. And if they don't send that when they have promised, scratch them off. And hurdle four, I like references. I like to get a set of a couple of references, and then uh, if you don't get those and they don't, or they don't tell you what you need to hear, I mean, those four hurdles have kept me from hiring a lot of bad, flaky contractors. I like it. All right, so one of the things I'll do with, this is the hurdle I'll set up for people who send me outreach emails, and I get so many outreach emails, and most of them are so bad. So what I'll do, like, if it's not excited about it, Every outreach email, I'll, if, it, if I'm annoyed with it, I'll immediately say, no, thank you, unsubscribe me, send. Um, and then if they still follow up, I blacklist them. I don't want that email again. Um, but if it's like just a mediocre outreach email, just delete it. And then if they follow up, okay, now I know, like if you, that's, the, that's the hurdle, is you need to follow up to show that like you're actually invested and interested in this, and this was not just like some one-time, one-off email that you sent to a million people. Um, so that's like the, that's the hurdle I will set up just to kind of protect, protect my time. Um, another yeah. thing I look for is like, I'm very fierce about protecting and defending, um, my free time and my schedule because I need to stay productive. Um, so I don't like, you know, I, I don't like interruptions, um, et cetera. And I set all those expectations out for people before they hire us. So they understand that. Um, and I, I look for the same, I look, you know, my red flag is I look for people who will be who understand it and will be respectful of it. Yeah, and who value that. I, I think it's a self-respect. And, you know, when you value your own time, when you can show you're organized about your business, I have some confidence that you'll be organized and with my project. Yes, it's, look, at, yeah. Uh, when, uh, when we work with people, I'm, I always love to see their processes. And I'll often ask, I'll like, do you have a, it's a simple question. I'll go, do you have a standard operating procedure for this? And anyone organized will immediately say, of course. <laughs> and other people Absolutely. go, uh, and that's when I'm like, wait, okay, you know, I don't, you don't necessarily need one, but that's, I prefer that you do. Like I just, that's such an easy litmus test of, are you an organized person? Well, let's talk about that for a minute because I have, the other thing I've noticed about contractors is a lot of times I am super optimistic because they made it through my hurdles and everything is great. Like the, it's unicorns and rainbows. We're <laughs> going to get this project done. We're going to make a mountain of money, but then things start to go bad. Have you ever had that experience where it started up high emotionally and positive, And then over time, the 
you know, maybe the length between email responses extended or maybe the delivery was, oh, they just missed by a day the first time or couple of days or their dog got sick. Oh, that's understandable. And you start seeing some excuses pile up. Yes. Oh, countless times. Um, and sometimes it could be as simple as like, listen, they're just a little busier than usual, but I'll look for them to acknowledge it. Like whenever, so my system is if I know I'm going to be busy, I don't wait until when I'm busy to tell people I set up an autoresponder one to two weeks before I know I'm going to be busy that lets people know, Hey, during this time period, you can expect, um, limited, I say limited availability during this period. So that way no one's blindsided. And then I will actively work. That's usually when I get the most productive, um, is because when I say, Hey, I've got limited availability, it's because I, I have committed, um, and I want to get make sure everything meets its deadline. I love it. I've gotten that autoresponder email and I'm always super <laughs> impressed. I'm in fact, I'm a little jealous. I'm like, Oh, Kurt must be working on something really cool. He's out there building the next million dollar thing. Um, and, and so to people who like, if you're a Shopify merchant and you have hired a contractor and yet the delivery is slow, not quite what you thought expectations might be out of alignment. And I think this is where having a clear delegation process, uh, knowing exactly, you know, what it is you expect from them, communicating that. And again, get down to the, what time on that day can I expect to receive that deliverable from you? And then also make the promise. A lot of times I would get a, a I need some graphic design work. And the person would say, oh, I'll have you your logo, initial logo revision by uh, Wednesday. And I would, of course, say, great. What time on Wednesday can I put on my calendar to expect it? And they would say 5 p.m. Pacific. And then I would turn around. And this is how you become a client people love is I would say, great. I will have you feedback by 5 p.m. Pacific on Thursday. Yes. And I put that on my calendar because it, I see also see too many times when both sides appear to be really happy. And then it's actually not the contractor who starts flaking out. It might be you, the merchant, the business owner who is so busy and you feel like that other person is, they should just wait on you. But I'm going to tell you, if you want to have respect, you got to give respect. If you want people to respect your time and to sort of meet your expectations, you need to make promises and take them seriously. And one of the biggest frustrations of being a contractor is not getting feedback about the work you've done. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I tell people up front, I, when, when we talk about timelines, I say, listen, I'll tell you, the single biggest, I say, I've done this, you know, a hundred, depending on the project, dozens or uh, possibly one to 200 times. So I'm like, I have a procedure, I've got a standard operating procedure, I could do this blindfolded. The single biggest factor that is going to determine the timeline, and if we hit your deadline, is how quickly can you get me feedback? So I promise, if you get me feedback, I will get through it in uh, one to two business days. But if it takes you two weeks to get me feedback, well, then you have pushed the project back by two weeks. Um, so that is, yeah, having that, that immediate feedback. And then it's weird. You know, it is, it's weird for us where we're like, did, did something happen? Did we, like, mm -hmm. did we offend them so, like, did the quality of our work, was it so far off from their expectations that they can't even put into words how to get back to us? <laughs> that's and it's the like, fear, right? Yes, that's, the, that's just like the, the nagging voice, the anxiety talking. The reality is, you know, when that does happen, it's just people are busy running their business. Um, and oftentimes, like, I will follow up, and I'll only follow up so many times, um, usually twice, before I'm like, okay, like, your project is now, on the, on the back burner, um, or I'll make an executive de decision if it's a good relationship and I think I have their best interests in mind. I'll say, unless I hear otherwise, this is the next step I'm going to take on this day. And then that gives them the opportunity where, like, just if you want that to happen and the project to carry forward, do nothing. Like, you don't even have to reply to me. Um, right. Or you just say, you could just hit reply and go, don't do that. Like, you know, um, so that helps. Um, but yeah, this the crazy part is I have more than once. We have had projects where um, the person go like very like early on. Um, not usually like if we've gotten to the end, it's a good sign. But early on, uh, they just disappear, and we can't go forward with the project. And then I think what happens? Like I'll follow up, and they're like, "Well, we're busy, busy," and then they'll disappear. And I think I don't know if they forget or they get or they're embarrassed. Um, yes, they're ashamed. They've yeah. let you down. 
Yes, and so in those, that's where I'm like, you know, I, I will, I give them the out. I say, listen, I'll, I know you, um, but it, it's hard for me because now I, we've got this liability where it's like there's this project that can always come back that we have to reopen and get reacquainted with and finish and fit into a timeline. So like it, it's hard. It's definitely hard on us when they they disappear. Um, but so I will try to give them the out where I'll say, hey, you know, when like I know you're you're slammed. Seems like you're slammed running your business. Happens to everybody. Uh, when would be a good time to pick this project back up? Um, and often that's a like, very generous way to put it, right? Yes. That really acknowledges it has a lot of empathy. And and here when we talk about they, the other person on the line, Kurt, you're talking about the business owner. Yes, you're talking about the merchant who owns the store as the vendor, the contractor yes. who's been asked to do something, and you're just you're pulling your teeth out because you have put your heart and soul into this, right? And how demoralizing is it to have to beg for the person to just contribute some feedback, some content, some images, some prices, whatever. Like you're so close to the finish line and you just can't cross it. Yeah. And what I'll say, or the other phrase we'll use is like, what can I do to help um, to help move things forward? That's like a wonderful phrase to use. And you could use that, you know, in any project where the other person is holding you up. You say, what can I do to help move things forward? And that way you're yeah. not, there's no blame. It's entirely constructive. Just like, all right, let's get this forward. Um, and that's, I have gotten similar emails from clients. And as soon as I get that, I'm very thankful. I was, um, and the clients I have who are like, who are organized and also willing to like jump in um, and make themselves available and are very fast with like, if I need something, they will get it done or get it for me, whatever it is. Um, I, they always tell them, I said, that's, that's fantastic. I love it. You're professional. Um, and constructive and helpful. And the end result of that is I then become more lenient. And, you know, maybe this is bad business, but I become more lenient with scope. Like if you make the easier you make the project for me, the more likely I am to allow for scope creep. It, it's amazing. I just finished building a house and I I've took seen the, it on Facebook. I love it. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. We love it. I took the approach with my builder that I promised him at the beginning and I kept this promise. I said, you'll never have to wait more than 24 hours for any decision. And oh, most decisions smart. I'll have in one hour to you. And he just looked at me. He's like, yeah, sure. He's like, because just like you, he's thinking, I know that you are the most risky, like you're the biggest liability, Marcus, the owner, when they can't pick the tile and the floor and the paint and they can't make decisions or they change their mind on scope three times. But he, we ended up getting more house with nicer stuff, frankly, at the same cost. And he would come to me and he would say, you're so easy. I ask you if you, if you know, what kind of this do you want? And he's like, in the 10 minutes, you text me back the exact paint color, you know, the Sherwin Williams paint color that you've chosen and you're confident and you've never, you don't change your mind again. He's like, that just makes it so easy because it makes my job easier. I want to give you more. I have more time to give you more. Yes. Yeah, I can afford, like, because often yeah. these projects will always, there's always an overhead budgeted in there for overruns, whatever they may be. Like, it doesn't, it could be for anything. If you hired a plumber at a fixed price, he has done Absolutely. this. If you yeah. hire me to build a custom theme for $30,000, I have done this. Like, it, it is always there. So if uh, you can help me keep my effective hourly rate well and keep the project going have to have momentum, and that means being available and positive, um, you are going to you are going to have a better result um, on on both sides of the table um, and a much better experience. Um, okay, one thing I, I want to address is uh, being perf- polite and professional. Is mm-hmm. what happens when someone gets uh, rude, nasty, or just kind of slips with their tone? I think it's a great question. It does happen. We're all people. Um, it happens when people suffer pressure when we're, you know, lots of reasons it happens. I, and this actually leads into the next thing, whether it is someone's tone that you don't appreciate an inference, an email, uh, which comes through tone or just things aren't going well. If we just kind of put that in the bucket, I think it's time for a reset conversation, not a reset, I like this email. reset conversation. It's not a reset Slack message. It's not a, it's a reset conversation. And that means you and this other person are going to, you're going to call them. You're going to initiate if you've been on the receiving end of this and you're going to say, Hey, I think we need to reset how we work together because I've experienced or witnessed X, Y, and Z. And I'm not ready to terminate the relationship. I still think we can finish this, or I still think this can be positive, but 
we're not going to be able to go forward in that same way. So let's go back to square one. And let me just tell you, I, I'm not going to allow you to be sarcastic with me. I'm not going to allow you to show up late to meetings. And you've got to give me the deliverables when you tell me they're going to come. Those are the three things that I'm frustrated with. So I want to have this candid conversation so that we don't have to have a conversation where we're no longer doing business with each other and the lawyers are involved and we're all worried about who's paid what and, and, and yes. all that stuff. Yeah, I so, felt like when early in our career, if you if you have let it get to that point, you have both failed somewhere like way before you way got before. there. Right. Um, and if someone does something like egregious that upsets you, don't get passive aggressive. Don't get rude. This is actually when you become it – is, it is powerful to become the most polite and professional possible because you want a positive outcome. So I call it um, taking them to the principal's office. Where it's like, all mm -hmm. right. And this goes whether it's someone we have hired or we have – or our client. Um, I will uh, try to, as quickly as possible – Get them on the phone and then as calmly, politely, professionally as possible, explain it. And then the important part is the next step. Explain, like try and figure out together what is the best way forward. That's right. Have you ever done this? I, I know I have done this. And the other person is surprised. I didn't know I was coming off that way. Oh, I didn't realize it was important. I figured when we said later this week, Friday at 11 p.m. was fine. I mean, sometimes they're actually surprised. Yes. Oh, absolutely. But sometimes they're apologetic. And, and usually if they're surprised, I've found 99% of the time, whether they're surprised or not, they're apologetic, right? Oh, my. Yeah, you no know, one wants to, like, when you're in a working relationship, no one wants to upset the other person. Exactly. And so, but but I like your principal's office. You know, we used to call that the come to Jesus meeting, right? Yes, you get religion yeah. or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think I think removing any any uh, religious words out of it makes more sense. It's not time for a spanking, but because that's old school principle, but it is time for a candid conversation. My yes. favorite book on this topic is the book Crucial Conversations. It's a wonderful book that teaches step by step how to have conversations when the stakes are high. And if someone is being disrespectful, if someone is giving you that tone, or if they're just continually flaking out, you know, before you just pull the ripcord and, and jet out of the airplane, have a crucial conversation. As Kurt said, you said a minute ago how much you actually appreciated as a, as a contractor when someone would call you and say, I don't know if it's going well. What can we do? What can I do to help? That acknowledges the truth that there's a problem and it brings with it some problem-solving opportunities. Yes, and the worst thing that can happen is um, – and you know, I've got the experience now where I identify this right away – is either – there's an issue, and it could be um, generally it's they have anxiety about the outcome of the project because of something um, that happened in their past uh, or something I did and didn't realize. And then they try to um, micromanage their way out of it, which only makes things crazier because they're not addressing the issue head on. So like I recently had a client. He had had bad experiences in the past, which it, it happens. It's why we're having this conversation. Um, and he said, listen, I haven't – uh, like I'm concerned about our, our timeline. Um, I haven't, uh, I haven't heard from you since X and you know, we were still, we had not, we were still within, we were going to meet our deadline. No problem. Um, but it just let me know, okay, this guy needs, um, he needs more frequent updates. Like ideally, you know, we do things as we hit milestones or if it's a bigger project, like, you know, just weekly. So for him, I said, okay, I, he gets more updates and we just keep a log of, uh, of everything we're doing. And, uh, and send that and just do more frequent check-ins. Boom. No, no problem. And I immediately addressed it. I said, it sounds like, um, it sounds like you probably had a bad experience in the past, but you know, no worries. I will, we'll send uh, more updates, uh, more frequent updates. And here's an update right now of what we've done. And immediately he's like, that's great. Thank you. Appreciate it. And he acknowledged that it was because of a, a bad experience in the past. Yep. And, and I think this is such a wonderful point because you, if you're a merchant and you're hiring a contractor, one of the things you should discuss is, how often will I receive updates? 
And, and it's not just about asking the other person, how often will you send them? You as the merchant, I believe, have a right to state your expectation. For example, if this person had said, it's very important to me to get weekly updates, Kurt, you would have you would have made a note and he would have gotten them. But he didn't really maybe even realize that that was important until he started feeling uneasy, right? And you, of course, are great enough to be able to call him, work through that, figure out what was really happening. Yes. But and if you're not, hiring somebody. I'm not trying to toot my own horn. It's just it's something that I figured out through literally years of experience and gnashing of teeth and bad experiences that in almost every situation, the solution is to just pick up the phone and calmly address it. That's exactly. It. That's, it's really not hard. <laughs> exactly. And so if you're a contractor, one of the things I like to ask when I'm starting a new contracting engagement is to say, how often would you like updates, Kurt? And if you're Kurt in this, if you're hiring me, you might, I want you to have the freedom to say, Marcus, I would appreciate that we set up a weekly call and you bring a status update to it. If you can do that, you're not being difficult to work with. You're not being a pain in the butt. Um, the person might rep reply and say, you know, we're doing this project. I think weekly is too often. Or maybe they might say weekly. We need to talk every three days or every two days because we have an intense period to capture this particular market before Christmas. We can't afford to talk weekly at least Get out there the expectations of when status is going to be reported back. And if you're hiring somebody, I, I think you should initiate that conversation. Yes, and very, um, very few people do. And usually, like, I, my solution is, like, you know, I, every email ends, I try to end every email with, this is the next step. Like, this is when, like, okay, we've checked in right now. Here's the next thing that's going to happen. Absolutely. What, one thing I want to point out is, about expectation setting, um, I have this other trick, and I hate using this word trick, but Kurt, have you ever asked a contractor for an estimate, and then they gave you that estimate, but the estimate changed? Like they, the estimate blew out, either time or effort. Uh, yes, and it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's often as well, if, if in my experience, at least. <laughs> and, and that's because estimating is really hard, right? If you are hiring somebody to do a new logo, a landing page, a new Shopify theme, whatever, and you're saying, well, what's your estimate to do that? And they give you one number that becomes in your mind the number like anything more than that is feels like failure. And I want to just encourage you as someone hiring a contractor to stop it, okay? Ask for estimates in terms of two things. First, ranges. Say, I would like your, pos your I would like uh, an estimate, uh, an, an estimated range, right? I would like kind of know to know the, uh, the, um, <laughs> my brain just left. I'd like to know sort of your optimistic estimate and your pessimistic estimate. Right. And then I'd like you to give me a little bit of situation. It's pessimistic because X, Y, and Z happened. It's optimistic because A, B, and C happened. So that's one thing. Ask for ranges. The second thing is ask for confidence levels. Oh. If, if somebody comes to you and says, it's going to take me between 10 and 15 hours to create this, you can say, okay, great. Like, tell me the factors and the 10 and the 15. That's a point to have a really interesting discussion, maybe even clarify the work. But then when you say, okay, 10 to 15, what's your confidence in hitting this 10 to 15 hour window? If they say, uh, 70%, you can say, okay, great. What would it take to bring it up? Like what's the factors of your confidence level? Oh, well, I have this other project and if it hits, it's gonna take a lot of my time. Ah, all right. So what can we do to bring that confidence level higher? And I think when we ask for a confidence level, it's like it engages a different part of the engineer or the designer brain in the estimate. So those are sort of two things I do. I don't just accept a single number as, oh, this is going to take 10 hours. I like to dive in because I've done so much estimating. I like to hear the nuances. What's the high and low and what's the confidence level? I like it. Yeah, this is one of the tricks I, I learned from you. And again, like trick, but just great tip um, is when we when I assign a project to someone, they get a handoff. They have a, a handoff email in which I try to give them like, here's everything you need to do this. 
And a lot of the answers, a lot of those um, things are built into our onboarding process. So we know, and then I will circle back after a project and go, hey, what information would be helpful to know upfront for the next project? Um, so like it starts with, you know, our, our onboarding process with the client. And then when I, I hand off um, the, the project, be it to, you know, my business partner, Paul, uh, or uh, Kurt Bullock, who does our, our marketing fulfillment, who's fantastic. Um, we say, like, here's the, here's the due date, time, and time zone, like, just so we are absolutely clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and then below that, I say, how confident are you that you can complete this by then? And then I provide the next step. I say, when done, you know, email me or email the client, you know, or, like, whoever you are, whatever the next step is, like, email me and the client for review is usually my default. I love it. I think that's awesome. The, uh, another thing you can uh, set up early in the relationship, and maybe you do this already, you probably do, is knowing that not everything goes well, not everything goes perfectly. They might be 100% confident in their estimate, and it still is wrong by a factor of two. So at what point do you as the business owner, the hire, the person hiring the contractor, at what point do you want to know if it doesn't look like you're going to make it? Many contractors out of, you know, a variety of emotions become super optimistic. I'll pull an all-nighter. Oh, I'll I'll just really hunker down tomorrow and and focus and I bet we'll get it all done. I don't care for optimism. It doesn't serve me very well. So I like to set up front a a system for knowing when to basically set expectations. When is, if if you don't think you're going to hit it, if we're halfway through in the time and we're not halfway through on the project, like at what point are you going to tell me, I'm going to raise my hand and say there's a problem? Because as the business owner, I don't want to hear it at the 11th hour. Yes. I want to hear it at the third hour so that I can make an informed decision about how to change scope or priority or something else. So if you, uh, so the, the other tip here is as the, as the the client um, in your when the the project is is kicked off, I they will get an email from me. Um, assuming I'm the client here, but I'll say if you have questions, here's what to do. So um, yeah, I'll say uh, send them ad hoc to me via Slack or ask the client via email, and then I make sure that they have that that contact info upfront. Um, and then we say, if anything, like to set the expectation, we go, if anything goes wrong, notify me, uh, ASAP or notify client ASAP, like whoever, whoever it is. I I think that's great. And I I do notice a hesitancy that if you maybe you notice this, I don't know, is that sometimes you can give the contractor the, the method. Okay. If you have questions, email me. That doesn't mean you're going to get those questions, <laughs> right? That doesn't mean you'll actually hear them because there are some people who still feel like asking questions is a sign that you're not an expert. Uh, yes, and that's something you have to get over. Like I think early in my career, I probably I did that. I'm sure I did. Whereas now, I've learned that actually it demonstrates um, a level of engagement and professionalism. Where you know, as I have as issues arise, you're getting uh, an email or phone call. Like if. Um, almost immediately just to get it like, let's keep it going, get it out of the way. Absolutely. And so if you're, if you're hiring a contractor and you're not getting questions, I think it's a wonderful time. The next time you speak with that person to say this, I want to give you my approach to questions. When I go to the doctor, if he starts giving me pills before he asks me what's wrong and he diagnoses the problem, I don't really trust that doctor and I don't take those pills. I expect questions to be a part of any professional doing their job responsibly. So I know there's going to be questions. I know I haven't been clear. Please know that I will never judge you for asking dumb questions. And I get concerned when I don't get any questions. So that's my view of questions, Kurt. What questions do you have for me that maybe have been lingering? Oh, that's really good. Yeah, um, you know, it, it was not, I didn't do it in as mindful a way. Um, but oftentimes, um, just a, a simple, the, the, I'll close an email with just this simple statement. I'll say, anything else I can help with? And that just, rather than just end the email, it, prov- it opens it to, hey, yeah. what are the questions, you know, what to get those questions. And on the phone, I'll just say, you know, what are the questions you have for me? 
I think that's great. Uh, I usually use the little doctor analogy with an, each new contractor the first time we work with them, because especially if I'm not getting any questions, either I think, well, they haven't started or they're afraid to ask. So, I mean, it, I play it by ear, but I love that you ask, you end each email with the idea that your job is to serve them by getting them what they need to be successful, which in turn serve you. Yes, and that's you know it came from you know being on both sides of the table and trying, um, you know, and knowing what makes for my favorite clients, and then being that person for uh, you know people we're we're hiring. Okay, um, so going backwards, you know, the the number one attribute to look for with with the early on in the relationship with a freelancer is just this um, extreme professionalism. If Dependability. Not, yeah, that, exactly. If they're not dependable and reliable just to get, to give you a proposal to give them money, you know, and um, then they're not going to be, when it comes time to actually do the work, you certainly should not expect them to be dependable and reliable. And you're right, like, it's, it's just early on, it's easy to overlook it because you haven't lost anything yet. Um, the, okay, and then going forward, you know, setting, being really clear about expectations, being 100% willing to ask and answer questions as quickly as possible, super important. Um, and will help things uh, move forward. And don't let things get passive-aggressive or weird or linger. If there's an issue, you, you address it head-on immediately, politely and professionally. Um, okay, when... Gee, we have gone a while, and there's still stuff I want to cover. So very <laughs> <laughs> quickly, um, if I'm... When I... All right, so I will... I've, I've seen this before. Someone will write, like, a quick request for quote... They'll, and then they copy and paste it to like two dozen freelancers or two dozen Shopify experts in the Shopify experts program. And then like, hey, we guys, we know each other. Uh, and we're like, uh, we're even in a Slack together, many of us. So we'll see, um, you know, this will often become apparent to us. But anyway, um, getting multiple quotes is a good idea, certainly. Um, but what can I do to craft that initial outreach message where I'm trying to hire someone, I'm trying to get a quote? What can I do... Um, to ensure I get a response and a, a positive response? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, I almost feel like there's a set of anti-patterns that, that show up as red flags that you could say, what are things you shouldn't do? For example, promise that if you do well on this for me, there's a lot more work coming. Oh, yeah. No, that's an immediate red flag. <laughs> right, exactly. And people who, but let's be honest, people listening who own a store might think that they're saying that in very good faith. And what they might mean is, I want to hire a dependable long-term resource and I will pay you a lot over the next three years because it's such a pain to hire. But Kurt, what is it that you hear? Because you said right off the bat, that's a red flag. What is it that your contractor is hearing when you say that? They're hearing, I want this for free on the premise that it's a test, and if you pass it, then you'll be allowed to have a bunch of money. It sounds like you're asking for a discount in the promise of like, well, I'll give you, in whether or not it's true, I mean, that's how it comes across, and it's, I'll give you uh, referrals, and you'll get a ton of work, and you should do it for the exposure, like that kind of thing. Exactly, right? You, you scratch my back now. I'll scratch your back later, and then yes. you know we'll both win. Um, and and it's course, never the case. Like early on, you fall for case. that stuff, and those are the you know those are the the people that are um, the most demanding, and then you never hear from them again. I um, suppose one way to look at it is if you want to attract new, fresh, inexperienced, unprofessional people, that's a wonderful thing to put in the in the proposal. <laughs> This is what I look for, the, the right way to phrase this, because this sentiment could be genuine and good. It could be. The right way, I think, to phrase it that I look for is we're looking to build a long-term relationship with a dependable consultant, provider, whatever it is. That is um, experience, like the, the good experience clients, that is often how they'll phrase it. Is we're, we're just looking to build a long-term relationship. With a, I like the word partner because it makes Partner's me feel good. good. Feels yes. respectful. <laughs> yeah, and I like even in my proposals, I'll say that I say this is not something we do for you. This is something we're doing together, and I'll spell out like this is my expectations of you. This is what you'll be responsible for. This is what I'm responsible for. Yeah, I mean, other anti patterns maybe. I mean, and I don't know if this is where you want to go with this, but for example, sure. being really vague. Um, yes, vague. either too vague or too detailed. If you send me, and I've gotten these, a yeah, flow it's a chart, weird. It's a line you got to walk. 
yeah, if I've gotten flowcharts with system diagrams and database tables and like, this is what we want. That tells me you think you know how to build this, but you just want me to be a typist. I don't want that. Yes, that I don't want to be, off. I don't want to be a pair of hands and I like it. it I know it's going to be tough when, like, I know I will have to push back on things you're doing and then you will just tell me I'm wrong anyway and I will have to do them and like, I'll be dying inside as I do it. Like, that's what's going to happen. Um, the, so yeah, the two ways it goes, it seems is either I get one to two like sentence fragments. Um, like I've literally gotten inquiries. There's like quite like website question mark. Like, <laughs> one word. Yeah. It's like, number one, can you please just string a sentence together? Um, so what I need is like, it doesn't, this doesn't have to be huge, but here's the basic. Give me a little bit of background. Who are you? What are you doing? And like in our, like I have a formal application form that'll say, literally says, tell me about yourself. Like, I want to know who I'm going to work with. So number one, get, but you know, don't give, I don't need your life story. Just give like, what's, uh, what do you do? And give me just a little bit of info about yourself. Okay, cool. Now tell me how I can help. What's the pain or problem you want me to solve for you? And that's tremendously helpful to know. And then, but try not to be prescriptive in it. You know, it's like, let me know the pain or problem. Don't just, oftentimes it just shows up with like, this is the solution we decided on. What's it going to cost? And like, that's the whole, whole email. Like, okay, that's not going to work. Right. And then, um, like any other, um, any other helpful info, which usually comes in the form of like, here are risks to this. So it's like, you know, we need more traffic to our website. Uh, but here's the risk. We sell age restricted goods. So it's like, oh, we sell, you know, uh, tobacco, like vape juice. Like, all right, I, if I didn't know that, you know, that, that would wildly change things. Um, but then you're right. The other end of that, where, when it's not vague is they go, uh, you know, Hey, we, uh, we want to, we are, uh, we're rebuilding our Shopify store or we're migrating Shopify. And I've attached a document with the list of features we need right. and you open it. And it's literally like just 10 pages of insane features with no explanation as to why they want them. It's just like, all right, we're starting over. The last website kind of sucked. We want to go whole hog, like uh, uh, buy once, cry once on the new one. Um, <laughs> and in doing that, we are going to ask for everything under the sun. And it's usually like if you then, but with no explanation or justification. So those are the ones that scare me as well. But those, all, you know, if it sounds interesting, I'll push back. I'll be like, all right, what's what's the logic here why where'd this come from and oftentimes it's just like well we you know as a team we looked at our competitors websites and then we cataloged every single feature all of them had and therefore if we have all the features we win um and then it's again okay come to jesus moment let's maybe let's think through that Um, so you want to be somewhere in the middle where like you know you set up you put the you want to be able to put that consultant in the best position to help you you hit the nail on the head. So first, I think one of the biggest motivators is the why. Why are you doing this? Well, the last website kind of sucked, or it's Christmas and we want to capture a new market, or uh, we, we, you know, whatever the why is, including the why is what gets people's attention. And I've been shocked at people sometimes, even contractors, want to do the project because they believe in the why so much that they will bend over backwards on their rates to do some of that work. Yes. Not saying you should like try and trick them like, oh, we're going to, you know, heal cancer. Or we're going to feed, you know, the poor or whatever. Like if you're not, don't say it. But the why is extremely powerful. And yes. given that all all the contractors we're talking about here probably have a plethora of places we could go look for work, uh, whether it's, you know, the wonderful, um, you know, the Shop ghettos experts program or uh uh, Craigslist. I got a lot early on seven years ago. I, we got actually some halfway decent projects off Craigslist. But yes, there is no greater hive of scum and villainy than exactly. uh, like Craigslist. Uh, so we uh, have Upwork. choices about who we work with, right? Yes. And so working with somebody who has a mission that seems like it has any connection to money that matters to them, that makes their life better, that builds their business – Include that why in the proposal. Uh, I think that's enormously valuable. And, and then the other thing, uh, it, kind of back to my doctor, you know, metaphor. Uh, doctors hate it when patients now in 2017 walk in and say, "I think I need Xanax. Could you give me Xanax?" <laughs> the reality is, is that patients, of course, have 
have seen on TV and in newspapers and in magazines, all these prescription marketing, right? So they walk yes, in. And they and say, fact, ask your doctor about. Like, oh, exactly. Yeah. Ask your doctor about if Lipitor is right for you. Doctors really want to hear like, what pain are you having? Why is it hurting? And let's get to the bottom of it before. I mean, can you imagine going to a doctor cold at a walk-in clinic and saying, oh, I need Xanax. And they're like, oh yeah, here's a prescription. <laughs> they would say, you're drug seeking, goodbye. <laughs> Literally, literally drug seeking. Literally, exactly. Yeah, either that happens or if they're, you know, they will fall back on the Socratic method and go, all right, back up. Why do you think you need Xanax? Right. And that's what most of them do because you're there and they want to take care of you. But you know what? Like that drug seeking smell comes across when you hand a contractor a very detailed proposal and say, I just need you to code this up. Like, ah, you, you really don't care who you work with. You're looking, you're going to shop me on price and you're going to hold my toes to the fire about every stupid idea. You don't care about results or my expertise. All you really want is this laundry list. And I'm just not interested in that. And that you're right. Those, the last two points are what I'm, I'm looking for, um, in an ideal relationship and what has worked well is like, we like, um, you know, we think you're a good fit for us and this project because of like X background. Um, so like I am, I'm a car guy. So I often, um, like I, uh, become a, a good choice for automotive related projects. So we did like a lot of work, um, for Jay Leno's, uh, garage, lenosgarage.com. And part of it, you know, that, that, and they've, they've told me this is, listen, we like working with you because you know the product and you know cars and you know detailing. So it's like, it's not necessarily that I'm the best pair of hands to write code, but I am the, I understand the business. So it's like, okay, good. I like that. I like that motivation. And knowing that is very helpful Um, versus just, hey, here's our wish list. And, you know, we think you can get it done and we're going to just, and then they'll say, well, just tell us the price and how long it'll take. We don't need anything else. I'm like, "Uh, (laughs) okay, you know, that's what you don't want to do. I, I'll just pass on those. I'll say, I, that's not the way I, I like to work. Those aren't the projects I enjoy. And at 47 years old, as a grandfather, I really only want to do projects where I enjoy it and I believe we're going to have an amazing outcome. So let me introduce you to this other place that will do anything you want. Yes, kind of I'll always say that's like, not me. Yeah, I'll say it's not you, it's me. You know, I really, I'm honored. I appreciate Jen, and I truly am. I, I'm glad that it, the opportunity has come to me, but I'm, I'm going to have to pass. I'm not not good time or not the right fit. And here is, you know, I keep a list of trusted mm-hmm. uh, agencies and that have different specialties and I'll always pick three out and say, okay, these are three people you should talk to. Um, okay. Uh, the, so, all right, final two questions um, since we've gone long on this one. Uh, the thing that people, if I'm hiring, the thing I'm scared of, there's two things I'm scared of. Am I going to overpay? So how do I know if I'm overpaying? Because like price and value are pretty, can be pretty subjective. And how can I be sure I won't get screwed? Those are the two. I think the second one for me is scarier. And by screwed, I usually don't think about screwed as in price, like, but screwed as in the person started it and they didn't finish, or I paid them up front and they didn't deliver what was needed. It didn't have the business impact, even though, you know, because something about what they did, right? Um, so how do you, how are you not going to get screwed? I think the main way people get screwed is frankly by people who aren't dependable, the flaky, um, there could be other ways. Uh, so asking for, you know, being clear about expectations, setting, uh, setting up those feedback cycles, letting them know how often you want a status update, asking that at every, let's say it's a 10 week project, ask them to reestimate every week. This is a common thing that I do. Um, sometimes people say, oh, well, I thought the first estimate is all you needed. I say, no, I know things change. Outcomes are important. So I want you to give me a new estimate that makes, that kind of shows me where we go, you know, how much longer you think we have. Okay. Um, and then how do you know if you overpaid? I'm probably not the right person to think about this, Kurt, because there, I, I hear stories about people who do business with people in the Philippines at like four bucks an hour or nine bucks an hour, and they get great outcomes. I tend to look for a more professional, higher cost firm to work with because my time is so valuable. And I would rather, quote unquote, overpay and get exactly what I needed, which had the business impact I looked for, than pay half as much, have twice as much stress, 
and and all that pain and suffering and worry and language problems and everything else. So I may not be the right person to address the problem of how do I know if I'm overpaying? You I think the thing up. to be fearful of is is underpaying. Like you're going to – the person is not um, – you know, if, if you're getting a discounted rate – Essentially, like you have from day step one, you have set them up to resent your your work <laughs> requests, um, and this could be a right. pro, like this. You know, the person can offer a quote that's too low, um, so you like it's not necessarily your fault. But I would say yes, I'm like be willing to pay more for uh, reliability and professionalism. This is actually a, a documented thing. It's called the winner's curse. And hmm. the winner's curse is when you negotiate so well, you get the price that looks great, but you get then either an incredibly poor service or, or sometimes you actually put that other firm out of business and you don't have them as a vendor anymore. Uh, the winner's curse is like really something to avoid because – you know what, like if I, if you negotiate really well with me and get my prices at 50 bucks an hour, which is stupid low, and I'm charging everybody else 300 an hour, which is right at my, you know, target rate that I get from other people, to be honest, every time we talk, I wish we weren't talking. And that's a terrible place to be. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No way. I think, um, not, you know, now once we learn to be firm on these things, um, but in the past, yeah, that's what it's like. I won the work and eh, I regret it. Um, like that, yeah. that's the position that you end up putting the other person in, whether you know it, like you never intended that you just don't want to no. overpay. Um, and yeah, I certainly I would never begrudge someone, uh, and it happens saying, Hey, is this the best price? Is this, you know, something to that effect? Like there is no harm in asking for a discount. There isn't. Um, so two things. One, you mentioned getting multiple proposals. That allows you to evaluate, in theory, the same work across different vendors. But the other thing is there's nothing wrong with asking that person that you're talking with, that contractor, could you tell me the rates you charge the last two? Tell me about the, how much you charge for the last two projects or what were your rates on the last two projects? Um, I've had – when I question. ask that, sometimes people will say, well, I'm really slow right now, so I'm giving you a deal. And sometimes they'll say, you know, the last one, I just raised my rates. And so the last one was 100, but you're getting 125 because that's my new rates, right? At least it gives me an awareness of kind of where they've been. And if they wish, (laughs) because if you tell me, well, I'm giving you a deal because I'm really slow right now, so I'll do it at 80 bucks an hour, but normally I charge 150 my that's a red flag for me why are you slow why aren't you getting repeat business and are you hmm. if you go get that rate for 150 am i going to get put on the back burner so i've actually said to people like it's really important that you i know that you're all in on this what's the rate this is maybe stupid from a negotiating perspective but i'm more interested in motivation than i am in numbers so i would say What's the rate at which you can joyfully bring your A game to this project? Because that's what's important to me. That's such a great way to phrase it. Yeah, I will often, um, if I feel someone is charging too little, I'll be like, uh, round that up. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've never said like add a zero on it, but right. Um, the but yeah. yes, you know, you want them to like if someone, if I find a, someone who works really well and I'm really is reliable and does good work and, and it's perfect, but they're not charging me enough. I'm willing to pay more and I will make them charge me more. (laughs) Yeah, I've done that too. And I've said to people like, who's been like, oh, I could do 40 an hour. And I'll say, you know, let's, that's, I can't do 40 an hour. If you're going to come and bring your A game, like you're promising, I'll up it to 50. If you bring your extreme enthusiasm, because at the end of the day, I think the biggest risk to the project is that that contractor, for whatever reason, becomes disinterested in your project. That to me is death. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You lose the motivation and enthusiasm and you're right. You're, you you know, it's going to slow it down and they're really just, they're paint by numbers at that point. And the sunk cost, you can never get that back, right? It's not like you can say, oh, I'll just take it and hand it to a more motivated person, developer, designer. Those people always say, wait, I'm not going to clean up somebody else's mess. Okay. So I love it. Um, This has been, I'm kind of excited. I learned some good things here and I, I know it, it will be uh, helpful for people. We went long, but it is so important uh, to grow a business to be able to hire the right people. Like, just there's just no way that you a are smart enough and talented enough and have enough time to do everything yourself all the time. You inevitably will have to hire people, and the first time you do it, it's 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 spooky, it's scary, 
Um, so whether it's you know hiring a contractor to build your house or hiring uh, a, a developer to build a theme or building a custom app or integration, any of those things, even if it's something small, like all of these, these tips are going to be hugely helpful. Um, so I, I appreciate it, Marcus. Uh, last question, uh, where could people go to learn more about you? They can go to marcusblankchip.com. Um, I do workshops. I've got uh, a mailing list where I write probably way too often, but has a bunch of articles on on hiring and managing uh, the people on your team from an owner's perspective. Um, there's a lot to the manager mindset there, uh, that I teach, and you know, just really excited to to really help business owners build a business that they love and build teams and that culture that they can really embrace and, and doesn't suck all the life out of them. And is the best place to do that marcusblankenship.com slash list? Yeah, it is. Very good. I will include that in the show notes uh, along with your website. And uh, you mentioned Crucial Conversations, which I've already bought and sent to my Kindle. Um, so I've included that link as well. Any other links I should throw in there? Does that cover it? Uh, I think that covers it. Um, uh, well, no, I, you know, as soon as I say it, the other book that every owner should read is called Humble Inquiry by Ed Schein. And this book is going to teach you how to create an environment practically with questions that are humble in nature, where people of a lower sort of power position than you, and you're the owner, so you're at the top of the chain, can learn to be safe in giving you feedback about projects, about themselves. It is so important to learn to ask uh, questions in this humble inquiry method. And uh, I, I think it's really an important skill that every business owner needs to have. Uh, that's right. It's on Amazon. Humble Inquiry, The Gentle Art of Asking Instead of Telling. I just yes. bought the Kindle edition for $8.98 and sent it to my my Kindle. <laughs> Absolutely. Do, no one no one should fear um, investing in yourself with books, even if you don't read them. Uh, like They're inexpensive. The This is probably the single, not probably, this is the single highest ROI thing I've done to grow. Um, both my business and myself is reading is these fantastic um, business books and personal development books. So yes, I'll include, include that link in there. Okay. And both of these have wonderful audiobook versions as well. Oh, yes. Well, I gotta, gotta love Audible. Um, all right. Uh, Marcus, thank you again. Thanks, Kurt. And that's it for us today at the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Uh, tell us about your experience hiring and, and what you've done that's made uh, projects go well or the things you would do to avoid projects going awry. In our Facebook group, search uh, the Unofficial Shopify Podcast Insiders on Facebook. Come talk to us or sign up for my newsletter at kurtelster.com. Shoot me an email. Either way, you'll be notified whenever a new episode goes live. And of course, if you'd like to work with me on your next project, you can always apply ethercycle.com slash apply. And as always, thanks for listening and we'll be back next week. Our program was produced today by Paul Rita. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.